And welcome to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Hey, Patrick. I'm <laughs> trying different intonation there. <laughs> <laughs> trying uh, to mix it up. You're, you're, you're looking for that's a right. change up. A little, a little spice. It's a new year. It's a new, everything's new and fresh. It is a new year, which means that <laughs> we've kind of fumbled getting these podcasts out uh, yeah. because they've been in the pocket for, uh, well, I don't know, three weeks now. Yeah. We got, um, we got real content here. That's right. Uh, as you'll soon learn, um, this is the first in a series of podcasts about Seattle, which we finally did get up to. Yeah, we actually didn't we, just half-assed it. Yeah, we we did Seattle, which is kind of remarkable for us. So I, we were feeling really good about ourselves, <laughs> and, <laughs> and having, then we got home. And that's <laughs> right. Having having gone gone up there, we we just kind of crapped out. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, as always, with me is Jeff Allworth, author of Secrets of Master Brewers, The Beer Bible, and Cider Made Simple. Uh, I went and looked for the beer bible over the holiday season in the bookstore uh found it which is good and bad i guess i guess it's maybe good. it's better if it's off the shelf completely no during the christmas season i wanted to be you on the shelf yeah. yes people should be able to buy it it's uh, bad and i showed it i showed it to my um uh, uh british brother-in-law oh yeah who i right. took did, took on a little pub crawl right um I didn't buy it from them. I'm too cheap. <laughs> but it did make me think, okay, good. I got a good uh, uh, a future gift in the in the pocket. And he was suitably impressed. He was suitably impressed. Yes, of course. Excellent. <laughs> he said, wow, you know him? <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, uh, you blog at Birvana, uh as well. I, I do. Birvanablog.com. And you are Patrick Emerson, a... Uh, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and you tweet at Beeronomics. Yeah, you know what's funny is normally this is the time where I look out the window and, and then we comment about the weather, but I think this is one of the very few times we actually blogging, uh, blogging, uh, podcasting at night. Right. Um, but because everybody wants to know, as we as we podcast, there is no rain. Uh, it's about fifty two degrees. Yeah, it's been and weird. overcast. Yeah, slightly weird weather. You're welcome. Uh, it was um, it was much colder until recently. It was a deluge yesterday. So, I don't know. January weather. Kind of warm, though, for us today. It is. It's supposed to be a nice weekend. Woohoo! Looking forward to that. All right. So, there's been a lot of politics in the news lately. Um, uh, I, I, uh, we, we podcast the day after the, the shithole uh, storm. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta give people a trigger warming. <laughs> I've, just, I've just violated the Apple's terms, but, it, but because it's now... You're quoting the President of the United States. Oh, I'm quoting the New York Times, I'm quoting the Washington Post. I mean, it's, it's in... So I think that I, I think I don't violate the, the They said it on service. NPR, which yeah. is crazy. <laughs> NPR <laughs> yeah. says it, every, all bets off. So, the, so it's the, the, the silver lining is that we can now say shithole all the time and not have to worry. <laughs> uh, but got me thinking. So, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. All right. Uh, craft beers that presidents would have uh, consumed, uh, either a style or a particular beer. And I'm going to start going going all the way back. So I'll start start in the past, and I'll I'll move us forward to the present. So, Ronald Reagan. Wait. So the but but the the thing is, I can use a beer now. It has. We're not we're not 1985. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, yeah. Ronald Reagan didn't get exposed to a lot of craft beer. But if if, if Ronald Reagan was was in his prime in, as president, what kind of craft beer would he drink? Well, he's a Californian, so I'm going to go oh. with something from California. Yeah. Uh, but he's kind of uh, a traditionalist. I'm going to go with. Uh, Beechwood cream ale is my answer. Beechwood, Beechwood cream ale. Cream ale. So I, 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 he's kind of a cowboy guy though too. So I, I, I was thinking Sierra Nevada pale. 
like a good West Coast. But I think he, I think he, I think he dig the hops a little. It's he's a traditionalist. So he's kind of he kind of hop along Cassidy guy. So he'd probably get into that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I give right. him less credit and put him in. <laughs> uh, George H. W. Bush. Yeah. And, and by the way, none of, he's half, of these, a, half of these guys you want to go to macro lagers. No, no, it's got to be craft. He's such an aristocrat that you can't. It would be hard to imagine him drinking a beer. Uh, you know, he's like seems like a cocktail guy. Oh, but, you're on the same line. The thought that I was though. Okay, uh, he's very patrician. Um, I'm going to go something New England, and uh, what's the most fist? Let's go with uh, Allagash White. Oh, okay. White. Yeah, that's a good one. Right down the street from Kennebunkport. Kennebunkport. Very oh, good. Very I like good. this game. I'm, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> this thing I was actually thinking he might be a sour guy. Wow. Old George H.W. Bush. You, you see depths in yeah. H.W. that others may have <laughs> <laughs> that <others> missed. <laughs> All right. My, uh, that's probably my favorite. Uh, Bill Clinton. Oh, Bill Clinton. It's impossible to imagine Bill Clinton drinking anything but uh, something out of it tin can that's not very not very good but um, i know it is he's a, he's a good a good a good old boy he's a good old boy so let's let's go something from the south i don't know any arkansan breweries so i'm sorry all of our listeners in arkansas uh but um i'm gonna go it's dixie do you think dixie is dixie Crafty enough for you? Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, that's exactly what I was going to say. So go ahead. Which one? Uh, it's like a Dixie Lager, right? Yeah. Yeah, Dixie Lager. Yeah, that's a good... Exactly. <laughs> We're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now we got George W. Bush. Uh, w... W seemed like a man of very mainstream and simple taste. So I'm going to go with uh, Blue Moon. Okay. I was going to go for... The- Actually, check that. I'm going to go with Shock Top. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> I was actually going to go with something bourbon barrel aged. Wow. Yeah, because he's, he's like a good bourbon Texas Texas guy who likes these swigs, swigs his whiskey, I think. So he might like something with a little bourbon, a bourbon flavor in it. Could go Shiner Bach, too. That would, be in a, that would be a decent move. Yeah, actually. I bet you, in fact... He's, he's he really is a Shiner Bach. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you if you looked at his fridge right now. Uh, Obama. Obama. Well, Obama famously homebrewed his own, which uh, I guess we can't go there. Well, then, did he homebrew his own? Did he have people brew? He had people okay, brew. Okay, thank you. But so, he was kind of a beer guy. Yeah, yeah. So There was, a, there was an incident when he was still running, and uh, I knew a Politico who met him when he came to Portland, and Obama said to him, uh, I hear you guys have a lot of good beer here. And I can't even remember who, who the Politico was. It was probably Kari, my friend Kari. Mm-hmm. He said, you should try IPA. And Obama said, IPA, huh? That's the thing here? And he said, yeah, that's the thing here. So in the spirit of that, I'm going to say, give that man a wanderlust. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to go IPA as well because he's like, he's and, not, and, not, and I, I would go one less is a good choice because I wouldn't go like New Englandy too too fruity, but I would go kind of like a a good bitter, a good bitter snap to his IPA. I think he'd like that. I think That's he'd true. like to get slapped in the face <laughs> with an IPA. Is good. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> the the Donald and the Donald famously is a teetotaler. So yeah, exactly. So, so he doesn't drink famously, but if he did drink, purely a thought experiment. Well, he loves. Uh, 
overdone steaks with ketchup and (laughs) KFC. So he is definitely not an esthete. So this Um, is where I was going to go with cream ale. Yeah, it could be cream ale. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. I got nothing. What are you? You're gonna some kind of cream ale? He should what? Some kind of cream ale? Some kind of cream. I didn't actually Genesee cream ale. How about that? Not really a craft, but I'm with you. Yeah. uh, For him, that's. But it's a New York brand, a venerable New York brand. So yeah, it's good. All right, cool. Uh, that, <laughs> so uh, now let's get, let's get back to the, the the topic at hand, which is that uh, a few months back we received a request through the mailbag to talk about the budding brewing scene in Portland's uh, sister city of Seattle, uh, our neighbors to the north. Unfortunately, Jeff and I hadn't been there in a while, and we really weren't sure what was happening. Uh, we decided to rectify that situation. And just before Christmas, we spent a couple days lifting around the Emerald City. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we, we, can, we can get into a long discussion about Uber about versus Lyft. Uber versus Lyft. <laughs> we, we, we went with Lyft. I'll tell you why. Uh, today, we're going to give our impressions of how Seattle is evolving and what we discovered. We also recorded long conversations with uh, Matt Lincecum of uh, Fremont Brewing and Grace and, a- Grace and Adam Robbings of Rubens Brews. Uh, those are long-form interviews, which will turn into uh, uh, podcasts themselves in later podcasts uh, to be released soon. Look for them. Uh, we'll announce when they drop. That's right. I was uh, going to try to get work the word "drop" in there because <laughs> when the nothing, pods drop, <laughs> nothing is uh, complete unless we do a '90s reference <laughs> with our cool lingo from the '90s. Gonna drop the new track. Um, <laughs> Uh, today, though, what we're going to do is give you a, a primer, a Seattle primer, because we actually did a pretty good job getting around, There's yeah. a f- with a few notable exceptions, but we we're actually going to kind of correct that tonight by by uh, by trying brews from two breweries we really wish we had had a chance to, to visit. And which we have bottles of in front of us. Yeah, nice. beautiful. All right, but first, as always, the news. Beer news has been slow around the holidays, uh, but the market research firm IRI Worldwide did announce in late December that overall beer sales through November were flat uh, for 2017. Uh, domestic premiums, Bud, Bud Light, Coors, that kind of stuff, declined 3.9% in volume, mm-hmm. and craft grew at 3.6%, and it all kind of washed out. The overall volumes in the United States were down very, very, very marginally, but basically flat. So that that's what... Uh, 2017 is shaping up to be. We'll get all the numbers. So craft craft is still is still growing, growing slower than it has in the past, but it is still growing, and the large domestic premiums are still shrinking. This is annual sales, so 3.6 percent growth over last year, year over, year, yeah. year over year. Right. Well, that's still not bad nope. considering how bad, badly regular beer is tanking. Or, yeah, or, most or, industries would happily take 3.6 percent growth. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, okay, so here's actually a small story that many people overlook, but it says something essential about the way the beer industry is maturing, we think, um, and starting to look like a, a lot like other industries. So we learned this week that Dogfish Head hired a new president and chief operating officer. He is George Pastrana, and he comes with no background in beer. Previously, he was a vice president at ACH Food Companies, which makes Mazzola, Fleischmann's Yeast, and Argo brands and others. Well, he's got the yeast experience, I mean... There you are. Halfway to beer? Come on. (laughs) Uh, No, but that's interesting. Uh, So as these 
especially I imagine as the bigger companies mature, they're starting to think that what they need is less sort of beery knowledge and more just general uh, marketing and food service knowledge or food mar- food food market knowledge. Yeah, it's, there was a there was a period there where where beer people thought that you couldn't do beer if you hadn't had beer experience, and that now seems to really be changing. We're seeing this people bringing in talent from other industries. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, last one. Uh, finally, Keith Villa is leaving Miller Coors. Uh, he may not be a household name among beer geeks, but he was the man who created Blue Moon Belgian White in 1995 and built the Blue Moon division within Coors. So he was he's actually kind of a a famous guy in beer. Yeah. Um, and uh, Blue Moon Belgian White is the largest uh, single-selling beer in the craft uh, segment. So right. this is a giant triumph. Uh, Miller Coors reported that he quit to, quote, spend some time with his family, <laughs> which is usually a euphemism uh, for something like getting canned or getting downsized. Not always, like but yeah, not often. Always, not always, but it was, you, don't like, I, you don't like to see that. Um, so I hope that Keith lands on his feet and has some plans. Um, I think people can have whatever opinion they want about uh, Blue Moon, but it's a pretty darn important beer in the history of American craft beer. Yeah, I wonder if... Uh he leaves with like a non-compete clause or something that prevents him from doing his own thing in the beer world for a while that would that would suck maybe although if he wanted to do like barrel aged stouts i bet they wouldn't care <laughs> maybe. maybe but yeah i don't know uh okay so uh let's get to our main topic which Excellent. is the emerald city the emerald city yeah uh, we went down there, and uh, uh, we had a little bit of excitement on trying to even get down there. Yeah, although I call it up since it's north of us. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Probably, I guess elevation, it might be slightly down. Depends on what part of the city you're in. Uh, yeah, so we actually took Amtrak uh, there and back, and we took um, a Sunday night Amtrak train, which was one of the very last on an old alignment they used, a freight alignment that used to uh, skirt around the shores of... Um, of the Puget Sound uh, underneath the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in uh, in Tacoma, but it's kind of a circuitous route. And over the last what year or something, uh, they've been working on uh, implementing a new route that shaves ten yeah not very much or something ten minutes off the travel time, but uh, is more direct. Um, and uh, uh, so we took the last one of the last trains on the on on the old route, and we were scheduled two days later to take a train on the new route. And probably everybody listening uh, heard the news that the train the next morning, the first train on the new route, uh, went off the tracks when the engineer failed to slow down uh, for a curve. Um, so <laughs> that that made our that kind of created a background background in our trip. I quickly reserved a car just in case, uh, but. I will say to Amtrak's credit, by the next day when we took the train, uh, the evening of uh, Tuesday, the, the accident happened on a Monday, by a Tuesday evening, the trains were running on time on the old track. Uh, yeah, we had no problem. If, if we'd been completely offline and didn't know anything, we would have just... We've had, yeah, we've been completely close. We just walked on the train and go, and it's fine. The only th- weird thing was uh, they had to repurpose some train cars that didn't normally run. They have special special cars just for this route. Um, they had to repurpose train cars. They didn't give us... Uh, they just sort of shepherded us all in, as a big group onto the train and said, okay, find a seat and we'll yeah. figure out where he's sitting next rather than reserve seats. So uh, anyway, so uh, that was interesting. That was weird. That, that was, was weird. We were we were adjacent to a major national story. Yeah, when we when we woke up on Monday morning, suddenly there was a story all over the news and, uh, and 
it felt a little odd. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we had a we had a fine fine trip there and back. But so we, yeah, we saw something like eight breweries or something when we were there. Mm-hmm. We and that up. and uh, one one strategic miscalculation that we hadn't anticipated until we really started looking into this is that we went on a Sunday night, so we were there basically on a Monday and a Tuesday. Well, it turns out that Mondays and Tuesdays are common uh, days off for uh, Seattle breweries. Yeah. Uh, and so that prevented us from visiting uh, two breweries on our list. Well, one at least. Um, but that, but since the two were together, that ended up uh, causing us not to travel south in the southern part of the town and visit uh, Machine House in Georgetown. Right. Um, fortunately, I have procured some Machine House in Georgetown beer for us to taste tonight on, so we can uh, rectify that lacuna. The, oh, lacuna! Very nice. <laughs> a, a missing space for those who aren't uh, on their obscure vocabulary. Very nice use, though. Uh, thank you. Uh, but what, so let's uh, let's kind of go in chronological order, shall we? Yeah. So do we, should we want? Do we? Uh, we've what we did was we recorded a couple of overviews while we were sitting in pubs, and then we also got a random bonus uh, short interview with a brewer, and we'll play all those tapes for you. Uh, on this podcast before we do though i want to ask just sort of the overall first general impressions like what what struck you immediately uh, about seattle beer scene seattle is a weird town in one in one particular way uh seattle was uh one of the first cities to have its own brewery in america Mm -hmm. Uh, they had red hook in 1982 right really early on um their craft beer scene developed pretty rapidly uh pyramid which was did not start in Seattle, but later moved to Seattle. Was right. another big brewery. So, um, through the eighties and and to the mid nineties, Seattle was kind of a famous brewery. You know, they had Pike. They had a, later on Elysian opened up. Yeah. And, um, but then it just kind of stagnated. Yeah. And all these old breweries are still there, but they're um, you know they're waning. Pyramid and Red Hook are both um, outside their big breweries. Their main production is now brewed both for, in both cases down here in Portland, uh-huh. and they have little test breweries up there. Uh, and uh, so, you know, Elysian's been sold to AB, and you know, Pike hasn't changed too much. And so there, it's it's weird. There's this, this period of time where not a lot was happening, and yeah. then all of a sudden, boom! This explosion happens, and now there's all these new breweries in Seattle. Yeah, that's what I would. That was my main takeaway. Was it seems very new and very young yeah. for what I would have taken to be a very old mature market but there's this new energy that I felt there a lot of really new breweries doing things um, on a on a um, I don't, I don't want to say minimal or shoestring scale just just like really focused on beer right. is what I mean rather than like trying to build out a whole big you know pub and restaurant stuff uh, <clears throat> and uh uh, other than Fremont, which has been around for quite a while and has and is very mature, everything else just seemed really nascent. Yeah, yeah. Which was fun. I mean, it's it's an interesting scene and and very different as we'll get into as we talk than Portland. It, yeah, I mean, Portland. It it every time you travel somewhere else, it tells you something about where you're from, and uh, it made me feel like Portland's mis- you know maybe a little bit more mature. Uh, the kind of um, that used to be the case that brewers saw each other everywhere and hung around in packs and. Mm-hmm communicated a lot but now there's 65 breweries here and uh you know there's a lot of competition and people are very busy and uh just feels more professional and less intimate and in seattle it felt very intimate the brewers each knew each other when we um 
uh, tweeted that we couldn't go to Machine House. We were disappointed because they weren't going to be open. Um, a bunch of people tweeted and, and got in contact with me and said, "Here, here's who you contact. Yeah, oh yeah, so-and-so, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll let, let you in. I know, he, I know he's going to be working down there. <laughs> yeah, and we weren't able to pull it off just logistically by yeah. that, at that point. But um, that was cool, and I felt really nice. So that was, that was a, something that it was a little different than Portland and made me think, huh, Portland is a little bit more, brewery's a little bit more in their own silo now. Yeah, and 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 here's and here's the thing we kept noticing everywhere we went with these new young breweries is they're just breweries and tap rooms. Yeah, and in in Oregon, you almost never there's a couple that I can talk talk about in town like Gigantic, for example. But almost always they have some kind of uh, uh, pub attached or or a restaurant attached, and so the brew pub model is really a way, or they're just pure packaging. But uh, but there. Uh, almost all the places don't serve any food. It's just a tap room. You just go and you have the beer. And yeah. uh, you know, I was fascinated by that. And I kept, we kept asking about it. And it's possible we <laughs> we could have done more research. But it's possible that uh, that the the regulatory environment might have uh, something to do with that. There's you know regulations in Oregon about having food and being open uh, and what kind of alcohol you can serve. And um, but I'm still a little skeptical. I just think it's it, it becomes kind of a, a, a cultural norm, like what yeah. you expect as a, as and and since the really early movers in Portland were brew pubs, yeah. that kind of became what you expect. You go to have craft beer in and you eat. And I think in this way, Portland is the anomaly. Uh, when you go to other towns, yeah. you see that too. Portland yeah. is the most brew pubby city that I've ever been to in my life. Um, yeah. it's just outside of Europe. Um, we just that we just love our brew pubs and it's just the thing that we have here everybody's got a brew pub um you know in other cities uh and we could talk about that this is not the time to talk about how portland scene developed but in other cities um the inner core wasn't necessarily the kind of place where people traveled to to have have a meal right and so uh you had packaging breweries like denver's you lived in denver denver's a a case case in point in this absolutely a number of big breweries but not really a pl- kind of place where you just go out and, and have a beer in a lot of different places. Yeah, and uh, um, a lot of the breweries that uh, that were sort of famous, um, you know, like Great Divide, for example, you know, right. big, big packaging brewery, you know, it was sort of an afterthought to have a little a little tasting room tacked on, <laughs> but it wasn't really the point. And then and then uh, um, there was the Wine Coop, big brew pub downtown, which was sort of an anomaly but much right more. it was the only kind of the only place to go and as a portlander the first time i went there i was like okay there's all these denver breweries i'm just gonna go on these massive brewery yeah. tours and exactly that's right uh so it's interesting each 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 place has its own culture uh seattle was really cool um in that it just felt like young and vibrant and like anything was possible and and actually the very first place we visited cloudburst is was just like that it was sort of um in this crazy little space sort of in the basement of, a, of an old building felt really provisional yeah uh you know with a with like eight foot ceilings that they're trying to sque- <laughs> <laughs> squeezing squeezing fermenters uh in um but just cool like you know, a few guys knowing exactly what they wanted to do and doing it and not having to worry about, you know, figuring out how to build out a, a restaurant or a kitchen and things like that and um, brewing great, great, great beer. So. Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice first place to start. We were, um, even in retrospect, looking back, I think both uh, 
thought Cloudburst was definitely one of the most impressive places we saw. So Yeah, and there's another place that wasn't open on Monday or Tuesday, so we got off the train and went straight there. That's right. With our luggage, like, okay, we got to go see this place. <laughs> Which we can talk a little bit more about that because we're going uh, we're gonna to give a play this audio where we talk about Cloudburst, and then um, we'll explain the next clip and how that came to be. Yeah, so, so uh, um, in what order would you like to do this? Should we talk about... Let's, let's do the first one that we did uh, at the uh, Brew Lab. Okay, so let's set this up. So we went to Cloudburst first. Uh, we got off the train, went to Cloudburst. This was about, uh, we got in about, what, 6, 6.30 at night? Mm-hmm. So we went to Cloudburst. I think Cloudburst was only open until 8. Something like that. Um, so we, we zipped over there, had a few beers, um, and then uh, we hadn't eaten anything. And there was no food at Cloudburst. And there's no food at Cloudburst, no food at a lot of these places. So one of the places that was on our list, thanks to all the great suggestions we got, was the Red Hook Brew Lab, which is a new test brewery uh, that they built. Um, I don't even remember where, where was it. I don't know. It was a lift ride away. It wasn't very far. It was downtown-y somewhere. Yeah, right it was pretty close. We walked, we walked from there back to our hotel, which is downtown. Uh, but it is a new, like, no... No expense seems to be to be spared. Uh, very um, hip, glossy place um, uh, that had a full kitchen, right. so we were <laughs> and like, lots of beers, and lots, lots, and lots of beers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were all made there, and they're not brands you find anywhere else. Yeah, you know, beers you find anywhere else. So, so what? So why don't we launch into that clip? Okay, uh, and then uh, we'll we'll talk some more at the outro. Yeah, we'll taste some beer when we come back. All right, that's that. We should get started. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, we're rolling, and we can go whenever we want. We've got to be equidistant here. Uh, so we started at Cloudburst, which is an interesting space. It's what looks to me to be a converted garage, and in a dark winter night was a perfectly lovely space. And it was windy, and so the wind was hammering the, the yeah, door yeah, and rattling rattling, it. rattling the front door, which is a roll-up sort of garage door with a little uh, uh, person door in, in it. Right. We, yeah, we came in outside, and it felt like we were chased in from the outside. It was this nice little beery sanctuary. Yeah, so in the way back is the little brewery, uh, constrained by height for sure. Yeah. The ceilings couldn't be more than 10 feet tall, I don't think. Yeah, it was it was short. So that was little, short. Little and, and, short and stubby. The shoot to get in there was pretty short. It was even shorter than the brewery itself. So yeah, yeah, it was. Although I will say that it looks like that they're in the process of creating a a new tasting room that's got windows and so a bunch of the space was sort of walled off and what looks like from the street that that's going to be a kind of windowy space. Yeah. So in the winter it's perfectly fine, but in the summer it's it's going to be kind of a dark, out of the way space. I mean. But that might be nice if it's warm out there. It might feel like a cheerful space. Who yeah. knows? Anyway, it was still bustling on a Sunday night. Yeah, that's uh, right. It seemed to be a few locals plus a few tourists and people like us coming in. Right. Uh, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but uh, Cloudburst Brewing seems to be identif- uh, uh, at least highly correlated with cloudy beers. Yes, I would say it is intentional. There was just... It's an interesting thing in a modern America where you could walk in and go to a brewery and 75% of the beers are IPAs, double IPAs, or pale ales. Right. And I think they had a couple of stouts, a Saison, and a Pilsner that had blown. But basically, everything was hoppy beers. And we just had to ask for help because they were obscure, kind of poetic names that didn't mean anything to us and didn't tell us anything. Right. Bunch so, of IPAs. Yeah, we had a pale, two IPAs, and a double IPA. Yeah. All of them were quite cloudy. They, 
very similar in in uh, appearance, except the, the, yeah, the presentation quality, was yeah. similar. Yeah, the quality of cloudiness varied a little bit, but the color, the, the hue and and uh, uh, color was all very similar. That's right. They were all quite aromatic. Yeah, and I was getting a wonderful vanilla note in the aroma that vanished when we tasted them, but that seems to be a house character, which I want to know more about. Yeah, I think particularly in the IPAs and the double IPA. I, I, you noticed it. I couldn't notice it in the pale. It was definitely the pale. <laughs> but we, we gave them very high marks, and uh, we, I especially liked the, oh, yeah, I'm looking right now. Yeah, you're looking, we're looking, we're looking. We uh, okay, Silence Breaker and Would You Rather. Would You uh, Rather, that's so the, the Would You Rather, I think, of the... Those are the two IPAs. And the Would You Rather was the one you chose. It yeah. was, And it was recommended by the barkeep. And she was spot on. I think it was the superior of the two. She was very... Uh, she offered... She was incredibly... Uh, aesthetically tuned and, and knew exactly what every beer offered and gave us great advice. And she also knew about the, the background of the beer and she told us that the Would You Rather was made with Cascade uh, lupulin powder. Right. And um, it was bursting with aromatics as you would expect and, and flavor and I, I was right that's that's a big winner for me yeah we like them both yeah. uh, but I, I agree that the Would You Rather was, was my favorite of the two Silence Baker by the way just a, a side note the, the name refers to uh, the women who are coming forward to identify uh, those that have been have uh, engaged in sexual harassment, and I thought that was pretty cool too. Part of the proceeds go to the, I don't remember exactly, but Seattle King County something or other that right. deals with uh, abused women. So, uh, kudos for that. Yeah. A buck a pint. So, nice. Yeah. Uh, the, the pail I had, which was the choice pail, I gotta look here. No, come together. Uh, come, yeah, come, yeah, come original. Come original. Thank you. Thank you very much. Choice. I don't know how I got first. It was a C word. It yeah. sounded sounded right. <laughs> uh, the come original pale ale. Actually, I really enjoyed. Uh, I would almost call it. If I had to identify it blind, I would call it a session IPA because it's pretty hoppy, very aromatic, uh, citrusy, uh, cloudy, but uh, lower alcohol and. And very drinkable and very dry. It had a very uh, it yes. finished very crisply. So. Yes, it finished very crisply. So it was one that you could really session. On. Yeah, it was so dry that I wondered if it, they used a Belgian yeast just because the attenuation seemed very high. Right. The juiciness of the hops fooled the palate, but then the, the you know, very crisp ending. So I personally give uh, Cloudburst very high marks. It's downtown Seattle, so it's really easy to get to if you're downtown. Uh, it was a cheap Uber for us. And uh, you know you don't have to go to hinterland, so check it out. Yeah, and it's uh, it's one of those rough-hewn spaces that really gives you the impression of people who are dedicated to the craft, right? Right. So uh, a contrast. Yes. Big <laughs> contrast. We're here at the Red Hook Brew Lab now, which is a very uh, high-concept space. Uh, uh, very uh, uh, high. Um, uh, I don't know what fit, fit and finish. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's, uh, it's they've gone for a really urban look, so it's uh, uh, it's got high ceilings and it does definitely feel like you're in a 
you know, I, I didn't like a, a big, you know, they've not polished it up in a way, but it's, uh, but also feels like there's a lot of money here. So yeah, very weird. modern, very urban, yeah. Uh, like exposed beams, but uh, uh, fancy bars and uh, a good beer. So this is... And the music we're listening to right now might be a certain reflection of the kind of vibe <laughs> you're going to get here. <laughs> I was going to say, and it's, it's loud and it's rocky. And, yeah. uh, so what, what struck me immediately when I walked in here was that there's a conundrum that almost all of these sort of long-in-the-tooth legacy brewers, craft brewers, are, are facing. Uh, you've been in the game for 20, 30 years. Yeah. You are well-known. The novelty, perhaps, of your brand and your beers has worn off a bit, and you're starting to, to flag. In the case of Red Hook, they're part of the Craft Brewers Alliance, which is also affiliated uh, with uh, ABI. So uh, what do you do? How do you regain buzz? And this, this brew lab, which is intended to be a, a sort of experimental brewery attached to a, a pub uh, with unique beers, uh, strikes me very much as an attempt to try and regain some buzz and credibility for uh, being an innovative craft brewer. That's right, and they have a bunch of uh, very interesting beers here that are they're really trying to show that they don't just do Ballard Bitter anymore, and they're right. trying to, it's not just uh, mainstream uh, bottled beer that you're going to go to the grocery store, they're, they're really going for stuff. I have a Trinicale uh Pilsner, which is called like Triticastic, Triticastic, something like that. And we asked the barkeep about that. She said, "Oh yeah, the, we get we, we the farmers are here in Washington, and what did she say? Who grow the hop? Yeah, they were here in the they were they were here earlier today, or they were here earlier no, early the week. Yeah, yeah, earlier this week. So, so she knew all about the the hop and where they're grown and why and how and yeah, yeah. And it's we both agreed it's a really nice beer. Yeah, and." Uh, I have a different Pilsner, yeah. uh, which shows you how many different varieties of beers they have. Yeah, uh, they have like 20 beers House here. House of Lemires, Hall of Lemires, Room Full of Mirrors. Room Full of Mirrors. Room Full of Mirrors, Pilsner, uh, which is good. I actually prefer yours. I think we both agree that yours is... It's okay. I, I would say we're going to give it some marks down. It's got a real, very herbaceous note, which is yeah. sort of funny, and it's a little bit sweeter in the palate, so it's, the balance is not quite right, but... Uh, but it, but the fact that there's two house-made Pilsners on tap is, shows you the, sort of the number and variety of beers they have. Right. I think it is interesting, and I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure what this means. But the first place we went to is a young brewery that is interesting and cool. We were tweeting, and and we were disappointed that their Pilsner was out, and they tweeted us right back and said. Come back tomorrow morning. We'll we'll pull some off the. We're gonna we're gonna take it up. And we'll pull some off and give you you know give you a taste right away. And they told us that without knowing who we were. They were yeah. Just, so that comes uh, so that comes back to my question, which is, I understand the the purpose of this place. Yeah. But does the slickness almost count, contravene the attempt to try and gain cred in the craft beer scene? Yeah, and I mean and I mean. Because this is a this is a hipster place. Let's be clear. This is a very slick hipstery place. And Cloudburst knows itself. Urban Cloudburst yuppies. knows exactly yuppie, what yuppie it is. Yuppie gates me, but yeah, you know, we used to call them yuppies. <laughs> right. Whereas Cloudburst had a, a really eclectic mix of there were some Japanese speakers there, and it just felt it felt very urban and cool and like. 
This feels a little bit more generic, a little bit more polished, a little bit more corporate. A little more corporate. That's yeah. the that's the key. Yeah. Uh, you know, good beer and and good food we've had. And food, which is nice, because one thing we've learned is all the breweries here, not all of them, but all these young guys like Cloudburst, no food at all. Yeah, so. logistically, this is interesting. All of these like hot young. Uh, up-and-coming craft brewers around here are just breweries and tasting rooms. Yeah. And so we've all of them had to realize we got to figure out eating as well as drinking. That's right, because we, we bombed up here, and, and Cloudburst is not going to be open Monday or Tuesday. It's a Sunday night. Right. So we had to get there before they closed at 8 p.m. Right. And they had no food. So then we had to scamper out of there and find a place that had food, and we thought, better go to a brewery, which is how we ended up here at Brewlap. But it is an interesting... And it's a stark contrast to Portland, where almost any brewery, except for a, a very select handful, right. have a full kitchen and a pub. Yeah. 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 And so it's really interesting, the contrast. I, I speculate perhaps it has something to do with uh, rents. Maybe yeah, it's I, so expensive in downtown Seattle relative to Portland yeah. that it's hard to, to find the money to put in a kitchen make it go. So tomorrow we're off to uh, check out Fremont Brewing, and we'll bring you that interview and talk about the tour that we see there, yep. and we're going to go to a few other places as we continue along our tour, and we'll continue to give you uh, our impressions. All right. All right. See you, Patrick. See you, Jeff. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, so that was Brew Lab, and let's take a moment of silence. <laughs> that was it it's was the, very loud it's the excitement of being in in situ though right like we're we're yeah wasn't that better than us here talking about it after the fact with pure I mean, that is very much true i think we would have forgotten all of that our brains would have remembered none of it we are old and our brains are bad all right but but before we go on let's let's stop for a moment and drink some beer let's do it um this is uh, uh we have two examples of machine house Brewery. So this was the brewery that was closed on Monday and Tuesday. We couldn't visit it. It's um, south of downtown. It's a bit of a, a bit of a hike uh, to get to, um, but it specializes in English cask, English style cask ales, which is, as everybody knows who listens to this podcast, uh, a giant favorite of Patrick of ours, and it yeah. just was crushing not to not to go. Um, and next time it'll be first on the list for yeah, sure definitely uh, and we'll actually look <laughs> at opening hours <laughs> before we go we'll not go on Monday <laughs> um, but to our great fortune uh, uh, Belmont Station the, the legendary beer store here in Portland um, had literally eight uh, beers of theirs whoa uh, in, in their case um, start cracking that thing yeah oh yeah I'm talking too much drinking too little alright so what I have here is Machine House Best Bitter and it is a true best bitter it's a 4.2% ABV uh, and here we go. Uh, and I'm gonna hand the thing over to you so you can. And I've got a I've got a six point five percent India Pale Ale, which is described as English style ale, and we're kind of curious about that. Yeah, I chose these two one because Best Bitter was just a sort of no brainer for me. Um, they also had a Dark Mild, which was I was tempted, but uh, to get as well. Um, but I wanted to see what 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 an IPA was like from them. Is it a real traditional English style or is it more of a Northwest style? So I was curious. All right, so I have the best bitter. The best bitter is uh, uh, very clear. Um, that is a classic looking That's a classic bitter. looking best bitter. It looks uh, sort of caramel colored. Very uh, amber, kind of ruddy, very... Uh, 
It's a nice thing about English Cascale. It's some of the prettiest beer out there. It's just yeah, so and it's got a really nice nose. It's very biscuity, nutty and biscuity on the nose. This, this bad boy is not English style. Well, I don't know. English style is now American style, so who knows? But um, Oh, that's delightful. This beer that I have is uh, paler, although not in any way Pilsner, Pilsner Pale. And it smells uh, of Northwest hops. Yeah, I was going to say, this one isn't 100% traditional. I would say it's slightly more hopped than you're going to find in most England, most English uh, best bitters, and um, a little less malt forward, but uh, but very, very nice. Too bad it's not on cask, which is a huge part of the yes. the flavor profile of these beers. Yeah, so. on, on cask, I bet uh, it would mellow out a little of the hop and be yeah. even nicer. even... Perfectly fresh and everything. Uh, the beers that are served, that are bottled, that are also served on cask, tend not to present as well if they're bottled. Like if you take a London Porter, a London Pride, and put it in a bottle, or a yep. uh, 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 Landlord, one of those beers, yep. they just something happens. They deserve to be on cask. So maybe the fact that this is, you know, less than perfect is reflective of the fact that it's perfect at the brewery. You got to go to the brewery. Yeah, I wouldn't call it less than perfect. I would just say it's not. Um, uh, it may be absolute perfection of what they're going for. They're just uh, it's it's less uh, traditional in the in the true English sense. I think that sucker was so bitter. This first drink I'm having <laughs> cleanses the palate. They're uh, they're appealing to a slightly um, uh, northwesty palate. This one, by the way, is just all northwest IPA on the on the nose. Mm-hmm. And all Northwest IPA on the mouth, too. Yeah, it's very... <clears throat> it's not English. No, it's not English at all. It's actually not very modern to modern tastes. It uh, reminds me of a you know, mid, mid-aughts mid Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, well, I would say the nose is a bit more modern than that. Mm. It's more citrusy on the nose. I think that's... I think I would put it in early 2000s. <laughs> no, that's... Yeah, that's what I said. Early... Uh, oh, mid-aughts. Oh, sorry. Mid-aughts, sorry. Yes. Yeah, you did. You did. You did. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I so, apologize. decent nose, but a lot of bitterness. Mm-hmm. Big power, power punch. Yeah. Maybe mid aughts. Yeah, mid aughts. <laughs> mm. But you're right. I'm going to ruin my palate for the uh, for the best bitter. Mm. So apparently, Machine House. Uh, it's got a lot of nice minerality. I think there's a water treatment happening here, mm-hmm. um, which is really appropriate. Uh, it does feel it does taste a bit thin, and on cask, it would be it would have uh, more have the perception of more body. Mm-hmm. I think that you know to bottle it, they've 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 increased the carbonation level yep. beyond what you'd find on cask. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, what do you know about? Uh, as I understand, their tap room is all a cask, a cask house. Is that right? I don't know nothing, man. Yeah, we we gotta go. go. I was doing the research on the places we could go to. Yeah. So it's just we got to go back. But right. it was we, a great, it was a great suggestion, and and we hope to get back. And, yeah. and this is a good first. Uh, by the way, both of these beers, just be clear, are 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 uh, very well made. Mm-hmm. I am much more interested in the best bitter, as will surprise no one. <laughs> well, I, I would say me too as well, just because the um, uh, the best bitter is pretty distinct in this current market. And finding an authentic best bitter in the United States is just hard as hell. Yeah. And for everyone out there who just thinks bitter means ESB, in England, uh, bitters come in, in standard bitter, which is usually... Three and a half percent, right? Best bitter, which is a little stronger, like this one, four point two, mm-hmm. and then your ESB is going to start anywhere from five and go up. 
Um, so even the very strongest beers, uh, the ESBs, may only be 5%. So that's yeah. what you're really – because and, and, again, this is entirely a consequence of the serving – uh, being served on cask, so yeah. Well, I was gonna. I'll say two things about this. Um, one, in true uh, uh, English best bitter tradition, uh, there's a very strong Moorishness to this beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you drink one. You've just poured more of it out. I just poured more of it out, and <laughs> and uh, each I've had maybe four or five sips now, and each sip is revealing a bit more about this beer. There are beers that don't reveal themselves in that first sip. That's right, and that's what you want for cask ale. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm just, every sip, I'm just liking it more and more. Ah, very nice. Yeah, I like that one too. So I wish we had. But this is, and this is very cool. I mean, one of the great ways that uh, people are distinguishing themselves in a, in a market of 6,000 breweries is by targeting a particular niche. And uh, we just, in the United States, we don't really have people making authentic English ale. So I'm really excited about this. And there's a few things on the bottle which are really nice my favorite though is do not serve ice cold <laughs> best enjoyed at 50 to 55 degrees and actually i think we've accomplished that because we that's didn't. right we left it they out. were in a cooler at uh, at the beer store but um we've left them out yeah the the base malts are really nice on this they're opening up as it exactly as we have it and yep. they're uh, mm, unusual they don't taste like american malts i don't know what he was using mm-hmm. but uh um they have a uh, biscuit quality, but there's a little sweetness there. Yeah, I was gonna say there's biscuity is not so nutty as sometimes you get. In right. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like scone, almost like a scone or something. Oh yeah, good one. Well done. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> All right, so let's let's go back uh, t- and pick up where we left off. So we gave you our impressions of, of Cloudburst. Um, excuse me. Uh, we both thought of Cloudburst as sort of being a place that just loves to dabble in IPAs. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we found every single place we went was... Literally every single place. <laughs> ...was a Pilsner, which is a really new thing in Portland. Yeah. And you'll still go to a lot of places that won't. Yeah, a lot Pilsner. of places. Like, uh, yeah, there's there are some great Pilsners here, but it is not ubiquitous, not yeah. by any stretch. And you and I are fanatics about Pilsners, and so it was always the first thing. We, we made sure we had a Pilsner every place we went because... Uh, it's a great way to judge a brewery. Yeah, totally. It's a hard beer to brew well, and it's and it's impossible to hide mistakes. Uh, so it's a really and by the way, I don't really think we had a bad one. No, we didn't. Uh, we had a couple of really good ones. Yes. Uh, and in fact, I have to say that 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 Red Hook one was very very nice. That Triticale was. Uh, Provided it was really it was to call it a pilsner is kind of inaccurate. It's, it was like a Keller beer. It was a it was a rustic lager. You had nice. a triticale and I had the other pilsner, which was good. Right. You're, um, we thought that the triticale was, was better. Definitely superior. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So interestingly, the uh, guys at Cloudburst have one. They're they're a little bit like uh, gigantic, uh, and the way gigantic originally started, which is they have one standard beer and everything else is a one off. Right. And the one standard beer is a Pilsner. Right. <laughs> and that beer was the only beer that was blown. Yeah. So we were so frustrated. That's right. That's right. We were really frustrated. And um, as all good uh, 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 media types, I was live tweeting right. our, uh, our experience and, and lamenting, uh, both, both celebrating our arrival at Cloudburst. Uh, and um, talking about how much we enjoy the beers, and then lamenting the fact that we wouldn't be able to test, taste their Pilsner. And next thing I know, I get a, a, a tweet back, and I should know the name 
uh, off the top of my head, but you do. Uh, did it come from Steve? I think it did. I assume it came from Steve. Okay. It came from the Cloudburst account. Exactly. And then, 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 then they say that Steve is the one who's usually... Anyway, uh, I think it came from Steve Luke, uh, okay. who we'll hear from shortly, presently, uh, who said, hey, come back tomorrow and we'll give you we'll give you a taste. We're happy to, 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 uh, to share it with you. And so we did. And this hinted at that kind of intimate quality. Uh, you would not expect in a... Portland Brewery. It could happen, but you would not expect to be tweeting out and then be invited back to the brewery. And I guess, you know, they saw who we were tweeting, so they, I guess, might have guessed that we know something about beer and, and cover beer. But I almost felt like they would have done it to anybody. It really just felt yeah. like, oh, <laughs> we're so disappointed that you're not getting to try this. Just stop by the brewery and, and uh, you know, we're, they're, they're racking them off and, and the next day. And we got that, the first taste of the keg that had just been racked off uh, the next morning. And it was morning. We got over there like, 1030 or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> perfect, perfect time for a Pilsner. Yeah. But they were super nice guys. Uh, uh, really cool. It was really cool to see their space and, and talk to them about beer. Yeah, and they're both really experienced brewers. You're going to hear a little bit about that in the next clip. But um, it, it, it is um, characteristic of this modern moment in brewing that people who start these little breweries are often uh, really experienced. Yeah, other, you know, they've, they've worked around the country or, you know, around the in the industry and so they're really talented so they they debut with in, in, impressive beer um and cloudburst has this whole thing going on they're 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 they have <clears throat> they definitely have a big vision when you walk into cloudburst you know what you're going to get uh if you order cloudburst if you see cloudburst on a you know menu somewhere else you're going to know what kind of beer they are they have a real vision and i think that comes from having all that experience yeah and i would i would say it's just a really clear vision like steve's been working for a long time and he knows exactly what he wants to do yeah um and this is his chance to do it. And he and and, and as we'll as we'll hear, he he made a very conscious choice to have you know a small scale brewery and to just be this um, and not not get into all the other stuff and not wanting to be big and not wanting to serve food and just just concentrate on the beer. It's really yeah. cool and just follow his bliss. And I, okay, this is one actually sort of businessy thing that I should that I say that everywhere we went, um, there seems to be a really strong support. For these local small local brewers amongst the restaurant scene in Seattle, so that's one thing that might help explain why it's not so necessary. Um, oh, oh UPS, UPS is here. <laughs> All right, <laughs> why don't we take pause? a pause? Okay, so that was fun. The, the, the funny thing about this: this is Friday night at seven p.m. Like, yeah, this is the, what, like what's this, going on? We do it this during the during the day during the week. All the time, and, and we never get, we never get interrupted. The yeah. UPS guy comes by. So yeah. I, what 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 it tells you, Jeff, is that your neighborhood is so dangerous that he wasn't willing to just leave it on your porch. <laughs> so I'm gonna yes. bet. I better make sure my car is locked. Yeah, here in the <laughs> there's some rivalry. I live in the I live in the Buckman neighborhood. Patrick lives in Selwood. And, yeah, uh, I, there's some friendly rivalry. Yeah, there's one's better. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that is so I uh, what I was saying better. is that that um, because I asked, uh, I think it was Steve. You know, um, uh, no, actually, I think it was the Ruben Spruce. We'll, we'll talk about that. But, but you know, how were you able to sell your beer at first? Um, were you able to get these accounts? Were you able to sell it around? And and it just seems like there's a real strong desire for local beer among. Maybe it's just because the scene is still relatively small given the size of the city. But there seems to be a strong demand for local beer amongst the restaurants and bars of Seattle, and so that's great. So uh, a little brewery like Cloudburst can, uh, with with a few connections, can just go ahead and and and, and grab a lot of accounts and a bunch of tap tap handles, and off they go. Yeah, and I think it's great that uh, 
Machine House and Cloudburst have these really distinct identities. When when these brewery or when these uh, restaurants and pubs order their beer, they they know what they're getting, and then customers know what they're getting too. So yeah. it, it's uh, some clarity in the marketplace. It's interesting. Um, yeah, especially for small breweries to have that kind of clarity. Even even if you're a small brewery, you should have some real clarity of purpose and. All right. So have some conception, conception well, of branding. Anyway, well, yeah. well, let's go straight to the source and let's hear about that clarity of, of purpose from uh, from Steve Luke at Cloudbird. Yeah, I do want to set this up just as we go in. Um, I got confused and as we started the pod, uh, called him Noah and I clipped that off. But um, I have some weird mustard as I'm introducing him and that's because I'm uh, correctly pronouncing his name as Steve instead of Noah. And uh, anyway, well, that's what that's all about. In your defense, I mean, it's almost the same. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Cloudburst Brewing in Seattle, Washington. All right, let's start that over. <laughs> We're here with Steve Luke uh, at Cloudburst Brewing in Seattle, Washington. And we dropped by last night and tweeted uh, about a beer that was not on tap, which is the Pilsner. And uh, it was who, who manages that? Uh, it's that mostly me. Okay, so you invited us back to try that, that Pilsner here today. So we're here... Uh, on Monday morning trying the Pilsner and um, we just thought we'd pull out the microphone and, and let you tell us a little bit about Cloudburst. So um, how long have you been around? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so Cloudburst has been around since uh, January of 2015 is when we opened the tasting room. Uh, so we're coming up on our two-year anniversary. Um, for Cloudburst, I was at Elysian Brewing for five years. Um, as their lead brewer doing uh, mostly new batches, uh, new recipes, experimenting with different types of ingredients and processes. I'm at the fields location down by the stadiums. Um, and before that, you know, uh, probably five to seven different breweries, uh, some for four days, some for a couple of years. I mean, <laughs> it, you kind of floated around, but I've been in the industry since 2005 when I was 21. It's kind of all, all I know. So, um, so from New England, from Allagash and Cambridge House Brew Pub, which is where I was at most of the time, um, to UC Davis, to Rogue Issaquah, to Elysian, to uh, Cloudburst. So when you start a new brewery, it's your own brewery, you finally get the keys to your, your new place. Uh, how do you decide what kind of brewery to be, what, what you want to brew? Um, when we came yesterday, we noticed that there are a lot of ale, American ales here, so sometimes called IPAs, sometimes pale, sometimes double IPAs, but they have a real family resemblance. Yes. Uh, so what was your vision? And, and um, My vision was kind of more or less the same of what I was doing at Elysian uh, pre-buyout, which was, at the time, I thought the best job, you know, in a in a city full of brewing jobs. So I got to not have to pay attention to the cost of any ingredient um, and really kind of with after the first year or so, Cantwell just kind of let the leash off and was like, just kind of you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing and, and figuring things out. And so I saw, I really liked the approach of, of you know, beers feeding in the moment and so that we could actually kind of um, keep that going here. Uh, I had a lot less risk at Elysian, so if something didn't come out the way I wanted it to, you know, it was either sold in the pubs or dumped down the drain, and it wasn't even something that I had to kind of think about. Um, 
versus here. So we tend to have to, we have to, I can't be, you know, too ridiculously insane with, uh, you know, recipe formulation here. Uh, but at the same time, we get to be really creative uh, as far as hop varieties go and usage and things like that. And um, Making a lot of the newer uh, IPAs when I was at Elysian that, that have since kind of gone on to, you know, build that brand and attract a, uh, a bad guy buyer um, was what I knew people were going to expect from me at this new place. And so... Um, I knew people were going to want IPAs from me, and you kind of have to give them what they want. Uh, but you can also, you know, with that, give them all sorts of different ones. So. Your one, you said that the one standard beer that you make is a Pilsner, which is very different from the other beers you're making. So how do you, why Pilsner? The Pilsner, dry, I mean. Dry hop Pilsner, so it's a little yeah, hop Yeah, there's a little hop character on it. Um, I mean, Pilsners are, you know, it, it's, most brewers will tell you that one of the hardest styles to brew and master is a is a traditional pilsner, um, and so having a beer that we get back every two months to play with, both Zach and I coming from a production, you know, brewing background, we um, it's fairly monotonous when you're brewing Allagash White, you know, nine out of ten times, right. or you're brewing Elysian Immortal, you know, four out of five times. Right. Um, and so, but you also kind of miss that craft of really dialing something in and replicating it, um, and then getting it back if you want want to actually tweak it. And so, with most of our beers that we never get back, and I think uh, most brewers are wired the same way that you know they're never fully happy or satisfied with anything that they put out there, and would always like to make a tweak here or, or see how something else would be different. So, at least with the Happy Little Clouds being a really hard. Uh, challenging style to make well um, it gave us that opportunity to kind of come back and do some tweaks uh, just to kind of see how it would go um, and the name behind it is a nod to Bob Ross which um, which in my childhood frustrated the hell out of me like watching this guy paint so easily <laughs> you mean it seems so easy so and he's the, so uh, the, the the PBS painter yeah. guy yeah with, yeah. The, with the afro paint right. all these happy little trees yeah happy and he clouds. just you know he'd, he'd move his brush around and he'd make this awesome painting and try to project that it was so easy to do and when you're you know a, a little kid trying to do that you like I would it would end up in tears and frustration you're like I can't make it like this guy made it and he made it seem so easy and that's kind of that's kind of what pilsners are is the best ones they seem so yeah. effortless and easy but but behind behind that process and recipe it's it's incredibly challenging well, jeff and i have have the experience of trying to replicate a once great pilsner and failing every time yeah. <laughs> we know how we try to make a pilsner in the winter and uh, the first one we made was spectacular and we're like ah, we got this we got this we figured done, it out man. this is no problem and then we never made one that's that good uh, and, yeah Challenging. It's really a challenge. Yeah. You'll get there. This is the perfect time to yeah. test it off. We yeah. live in the Northwest. You just throw it outside, let it lager naturally, au natural, and it's uh, which that that's not our problem. Yeah, it's the, it's the brew house side that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the brewer problem. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, thank you for uh, uh, letting us back in to try Happy Little Clouds, and uh, we will uh, hope to check out some more of your beers in the future. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, so that was uh, Steve Luke at Cloudburst Brewing. And we are running long, so let's 
Not let's start. Let's long start moving on cloudburst, on. and we'll keep moving here. Yeah. So we'll give a quick a quick itinerary. So that was uh, that was the morning of uh, of the next of more of Monday morning, and then we went to uh, Fremont Brewing that afternoon, which in which we'll devote an entire pod to. Uh, so we'll skip right over that. But after we were at Fremont, um, we went on to uh, uh, Stoop Brewing. Yep. Beer company, brewing company, something, uh, which was nearby in the Fremont neighborhood, or maybe it was Ballard. I can't remember which direction we went. Yeah, the, when we asked uh, uh, Matt Litzenkamp where he was, he said he was in Freelard or Belmont or something, something like, like that. Because like yeah. like the, so. the new Fremont brewery is is actually in Ballard, like a block over into what would normally be considered Ballard, but he now thinks that the border has moved since Fremont has planted their flag. So, <laughs> but I honestly don't remember where Stoop was. Um, yeah, it was so we but it was pretty close. We went to Stoop, and then we, we went to Holy Mountain. And you'll hear about this uh, when we interview uh, Matt Lincecum, but at, at the point we joined Matt Lincecum, um Ben Keen from Beer Advocate, the, the editor of Beer uh, Advocate, joined us, and we went to Stoop. He took us to Stoop, so that's thanks, right. That thanks was, for that, Ben. Thanks for that, Ben. And the Ben also set us up at the next stop, which is Holy Mountain, in which he gave us the, the insider's pro tip about yeah. how to get food and enjoy beer at Holy Mountain, uh, which isn't obvious when you go. No, not at all. Uh, and so It's that, in the middle of nowhere. That saved us. That was, that was excellent. That was the best pro tip. Uh, and I tweeted it out without giving him proper credit, so I'm still, I'm still ashamed about that. So uh, thank you, Ben. <laughs> uh, and that, was, that, that ended our Monday. Yep. And then on Tuesday morning, uh, we woke up and, and uh, had breakfast. And then later, we made our way to Old Stove Brewing Company, which is in the Pike Market. Yeah, right in the Pike Market, which is kind of remarkable. Yeah, and they're building some new new place as well um, that, that looks out over uh, Elliott Bay. But, um, but we went to the original place in the Pike Market, which was um, fun and cool. And uh, that is where we recorded our... Our second audio clip, but as you hear, Jeff is getting into our next set of beer that's from uh, Georgetown Brewing Company, which is uh, located very close to Machine House, south of downtown, uh, which meant that we didn't get there either. And uh, those are the two places that were recommended highly to us and by multiple <laughs> by multiple people. That's how you pour a beer. I just want to say, and that's a beautiful beer. I also will say uh, that's got you know it's sort of straw, but it's a little orange. A um, little bit of Northwest haze, not New England haze. Yeah, a little, a, a, little, a touch of haze, a nice oh. head. Yeah. That, that's just a good-looking beer. What is it, by the way? <laughs> so we've got... Um, oh, uh, the Bodhisattva. Yeah, uh, Georgetown Brewery's uh, Bodhisattva, which is a fairly famous beer, and I've actually had this beer. Oh, uh, it is not their most famous. Um, they are... This is actually a, another weird quirk of... These came in cans, by the way. <laughs> another weird quirk of Seattle is there are a couple of like really famous beers that come from Seattle. And they're beers, not the the breweries are less famous. Uh, Mac and Jack's Amber, which is the first famous beer in Seattle, and yeah. still they brew something like sixty five thousand barrels, most of it of amber, and it's it's straight out of the nineteen eighties, yeah. and it's still popular in Seattle, and it still blows my mind that that's the case. Yeah. The other one, which is a much more modern beer, and it's really a transitional beer into the modern era, is Manny's Pale from right. Georgetown. Yeah. And Manny's Pale is actually available sometimes in Portland. It used to be available at my local Matador uh, Mexican restaurant, and it was my go-to. And uh, it is a spectacular beer. It's very mellow. It's a, it's a classic pale, which I wish more pales existed. More body, um, lower alcohol, less hop intensity, but a lot of late-edition hops, very 
very they're just a sunny sessionable beer yeah. american american pale and and uh there's a reason i think i can't explain the mac and jack's amber but um <laughs> manny's pale is an amazing beer and uh it deserves uh, the the accolades it gets so. and, and we heard that manny himself is a pretty cool guy so yeah that's even better uh and then i just poured the the rogers pilsner um, speaking of Pilsner. Because we got to have a Pilsner. Because we got to have a Pilsner. Uh, it's a, and that is a good-looking Pilsner. It's a good-looking Pilsner. It's a little dark, darker than uh, um, than straw. It's a little, little skews slightly amber, but it's sure. clear and nice and bright uh, with a good head. Modern German Oktoberfests are that color, which yeah. is a, a pro- problem with modern German Oktoberfests. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a good-looking beer. Mm. Ooh, that's very nice. This is also very nice, but you got to smell Bodhisattva. <laughs> yeah, I decided to go through Pilsner before I... Before I but uh, by the way, I, I just want to mention, because while we were listening to the to the tapes, I've been just chugging uh, uh, sip after sip of the, the Machine House Best Bitter. Yeah, you and me both, man. That is just... That is a phenomenal... I'm now declaring this a phenomenal <laughs> beer, because... It's really coming on, too. Yeah, every sip better is better and better, and better, and now it's just ambrosia. It's... It's, uh, I don't know another American brewed beer that's this good uh, representation of English best bitters. I agree. I think uh, uh, Magnolia down in San Francisco is the other brewery that I know of that's really committed to these kind of beers. Mm-hmm. And I would say that I, I have not had a beer from Magnolia, which I consider uh, spectacular. I love Magnolia. Uh, Dave McLean down there does great work. Uh, um but this, yeah, I, this beer is like, I mean, this beer is like, if we were sitting in a pub in London, we would be really excited yeah, about this uh, beer. And I would have many. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm sorry I cut into, I didn't want to, 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 to steal the, the buzz about Georgetown because we're, we're here to talk about Georgetown beer in this segment. But uh, I did just give a pay on to uh, Manny's, so. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the Pilsner is kind of a more of a German Pilsner. It's not it's less rustic. It's more refined. It's a little sweet. Which is typical. Both of those things were typical. There mm-hmm. were there were uh, German Pilsners almost everywhere we went. Yep. And they were often had a little note of sweetness. Yeah. So there you go. There's another one. All right. Try, I gotta, try this. Try this it, at least smell that thing. Oh, good golly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are we smelling? We're smelling. That is that is some. Citrus and pine. and It just was so dank to me. Yeah. Grapefruit. If I, were, if I were to, if people wanted to ever know what dank was, I'd say buy yourself a Bodhisattva, which is spelled Bodhisattva. See, I don't think it's as dank as like the Vortex IPA, like a Fruit George. Oh, man, that sucker's so dank. Or Eraser 5. Those are, that's what I call dank, like the real sort of marijuana-y kind of This thing is like dankness. straight out of the dispensary. No, you're wrong. <laughs> oh, but yeah, you know what? It's not that far away from Eraser 5, is it? But it's got more citrus. Um, the bitterness is is not no punching the face. Mm-mm. Yeah, this I gotta say the uh, the Rogers is very nice. It's got a, a uh, uh, the base malter spot on. Mm-hmm. If I were to guess, I'd say a Weirman, but and I gotta say it's a four point nine ABV, which is entirely appropriate. And thank you for that mm-hmm. because I'm starting to see these Pilsners which are pushing six. Um, yeah, that's a Portland thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
So I want, I'm an old man and I need a sessionable beer. Give me, <laughs> I want more than one, please. Yep. Help me out. 4.8, 4. 4.9, 5. These are your numbers. Yeah, these the, are targets to hit people. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Jeff. Uh, the buddies off as a you know a big a big IPA at six point nine percent, which some people would call double double IPA, but not in the northwest. It's soft. It's nice. I like it. It's Actually, this one will get you in trouble, yeah, because yeah. you could drink a lot of this really not fast. Not at all boozy. Yeah, oof, that's good beer. It's, yeah. Well, so I yeah, two two excellent breweries. I wish we had a chance to visit. And you're out of your mind. That thing is so dank. <laughs> God. <laughs> I just not, I'm not, looking around for the smoking bowl somewhere as, in the room. I mean, <laughs> good lord! Not as much on the nose. It's more citrusy on the nose. No. Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right that you're wrong. It's, it, not, it's not a problem. I really wish that everybody who listens to this were here to arbitrate this, and <laughs> probably they do too. Probably they really want us to move on. So let's move on. Let's do that. So we uh, we went to Stoop and then Holy Mountain, and then uh, in the next morning we went to Old Stove and recorded another little segment. And we'll play that now. And let's listen to that now. Okay, so we are here at Old Stove Brewing Company in their, I guess, original location on First Avenue in the Pike Market. Uh, they are opening a new location down by the waterfront. Right. I guess. Uh, anyway, so uh, let's talk about our beery adventures from last night. We, uh, we are now uh, lunchtime on Tuesday, and on yes. Monday, we visited Fremont, which we'll do a whole uh, podcast on. Then we visited Stoop in Ballard, and then uh, Holy Mountain in wherever they are. Wherever they are, south of Ballard. Yeah, right just below the Queen Anne District. I'm not sure what you call that. Right. Wherever they are, that's what they are. It does take a little effort to find them, get, get to them. There's not a lot around there. Although it takes no effort if you're in an Uber, or a, as we're now shifting to Lyft. Lyft, yes, yeah. Lyft. Uh, Wait, so Stoop. Stoop was pretty cool. It's right on the edge of it, residential district in Ballard. Yeah. It's a cozy little space. Our, our, uh, our friend Ben Keen from Beer Advocate drove us over there and sat down and had some beers with us. That's right. Uh, we didn't actually check out. Apparently there's a space above, an extra space above, but we were just in the main space down below. Um, and, uh, Which I think had the best vibe as a pub of the places we visited. It was warm and homey and very neighborhoody. Yeah, lots of people sort of just stopping by. A lot of people with dogs. You can bring your dogs in. I mean, and there literally were probably maybe I think eight I saw, dogs the whole time. Yeah, there. I was going to say I think I pet, petted four dogs. Yeah, so, uh, I think I think I counted about eight that came and went as we were there. Yeah, uh, all very good dogs. They were very good dogs. <laughs> I mean, they were really well mannered. Uh, but it's interesting because clearly that's kind of a, a thing. Yeah. Uh, kids, kids, parents, um, which is interesting, particularly because there's no food. Right. Uh, until a little bit later, a, well, a food with, cart one, with, with one important uh, asterisk there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, they had a food truck outside, but in the pub they had, and I availed myself of, the jerky vending machine. Yeah, an entire vending machine full of jerky. Yeah. And it was a good deal too because I bought, I spent five seventy five and got like a half pound of jerky. Or yeah, something. it was a huge package. Yeah. Uh, so that was pretty brilliant, I thought. Yeah. Uh, the jerky vending machine, and uh, serendipitously, we ended up uh, sitting next to uh, a young man named Cam, who works in their barrel age program. Uh, super nice. Uh, who also mentioned that the jerky machine apparently does pretty well. <laughs> 
so their beer. Yeah, so their beer was, uh, they, they, like everybody else, tend to focus on hops, so they had a lot of pails and IPAs. That's right. Uh, and those were well-made uh, beers. So far, we have not encountered um, anybody who doesn't make a good hoppy ale. Uh, I think we've tried every, well, first off, everybody makes a Pilsner. That's right, and that is a weird and interesting finding here. Yeah, you won't including, find... Including Old Stowe, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, uh, so far, we're five for five. You won't find that in Portland, um, and so we have... That's t- tended to be where we start with all right. the breweries, Pilsner. And so their Pilsner is quite nice. It was nice. Um, kind of a traditional German Pilsner. Uh, just straight ahead, not a lot of bells and whistles. Really nice. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, I had... I think I went from there to a, to a pretty big hoppy citra based IPA which was very nice and you had that London brown ale there right was that there yeah that's right that yeah. was an interesting beer 3 point something percent yeah kind full of flavored a... but low alcohol nice beer yep and I had it and we, we got a taster of the dry hop sour ale which I liked quite a bit uh, yeah that was very good one. and I also got a different IPA which was well done so um, yeah there really wasn't a bad beer in the lot yeah, I well, mean, as far as IPAs go so far, I, I definitely think Cloudburst has the edge. They're real savants about IPAs. They they know hops, and they really bring they bring the ruckus. It's good stuff. Yeah, and one of the cool things about Cloudburst, well, sort of true of all the places we visited, is they tend to have, uh, maybe with the exception of Holy Mountain, they tend to have multiple IPAs on yeah. going on at, simultaneously, so you can kind of... Uh, tastes some pretty different varieties, but I thought Cloudburst, uh, they had at least three plus a pail that I would probably call an IPA, um, uh, maybe two pails all the couple, so probably about five or six beers you could sort of taste side by side and really taste the differences in the hops and the, um, and the way they're utilized. So, yeah. so I agree. I think uh, if you're a real IPA head, I still I would head Cloudburst first. I would too, but if you want a nice evening and uh, a a variety, yeah, more diverse styles, then you go to Stoop. After that, we went to Holy Mountain, which was uh, when we polled our listener, our readers uh, on social media, were the it was the the most recommended brewery in Seattle. And I think that's that's probably the case because they tend to specialize in high concept barrel aged beers, bigger beers, very complex beers. They go for a lot of complexity. Um, one of the best beers I had of theirs, we had at lunch at uh, No Anchor, right? And it was a, a, a barrel aged saison that was uh, had uh, a really nice balance of acidity and uh, uh, some residual sugar was still left there, and uh, it was a little bit alcoholic, so it had all these things going on. And it was nice, and it worked very well with food. Yeah. Um, and then when we were at Holy Mountain, we had, uh, they had a Pilsner, so we had the Pilsner, and they also had a little thing called, they called a, a black beer, and it was, they called it a black ale, but it was very dry and crisp, and it reminded me more of uh, a Schwarz beer. Right. And black beer, which is literally Schwarz beer in German, yeah. seems to echo that, so I think they may have been aware of that, even though it was made with Maris Otter and uh, uh, East Kent Goldings, so that was interesting. Yeah, it was, it was very, very, it was my, actually my favorite beer there. Yeah, it was so. very roasty. Yeah, very sessionable. It was creamy and kind of full-bodied. It was only 4.5%, so that was nice. Not Probably not the beer that uh, everybody likes when they go there, but I like that one. Although it was the beer they had next door, and uh, Ben from Beer Advocate gave us this pro tip, which is crucial if you're visiting Holy Mountain and you're hungry. Yeah. Uh, the next door, there's a distillery, and attached to the distillery is a Chicago-style pizza place called Windy City Pie. 
Uh, and if you go over there, you can order a pie and carry it over to Holy Mountain. And they um, encourage that. They'll even give you plates and forks to eat it with. Yeah, but you would never know uh, uh, that that was... Well, I don't know. If you were dullards like us, you'd never know. <laughs> you'd never have figured that out. So thanks, Ben. Uh, and it's a good recommendation because the, the, the pizza is uh, excellent if you like Chicago style. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say, uh, apropos of all that, is that the, that was what they were serving there, the black beer in, over in the pizza side. Right. The distilleries um, had, a, uh, had a few taps. Uh, I had their Pilsner, of course. <laughs> their Pilsner was uh, quite hoppy. It was an ag- aggressively hot Pilsner, which is uh, not my favorite, but sort of shows you how they're kind of putting their stamp on traditional styles. Yeah. Going for, going for something a little bit more interesting, more challenging, perhaps. Right. Uh, uh, so it was, it was very well made. Uh, and then I had a big, giant South Pacific hot bomb, which was really good. <laughs> yeah. It almost literally made my eyes wander. It was so, it was so intense. Yeah. My, uh, which, and I have, tr- I have some trouble with those kiwis, which is why I, I was like, okay, it's not for me. Yeah. But. I love the kiwi hops. Uh, it was a little big for me. It was about a 7.3, if memory serves, yeah. uh, 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 IPA, which, which is sort of above my, my comfort zone generally. I kind of like a, a, low, a low sixes. Uh, but uh, very well made. One thing I was impressed with at Holy Mountain uh, was the low prices. Here's there are were, were quite cheap. You could get uh, a half pint for for two two and a half to four bucks, and full pours were like four, five, or six bucks. Yeah, like that's that. they were they were it was quite reasonable for for beer that was clearly uh, you know a- aiming to be uh, a high end product. 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 Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so. what, what couldn't have been more different, and partly it's just the location, is the atmosphere in the two yeah, places. Yeah. So Stoop was very sort of uh, close, sort of low ceiling, kind of uh, cozy space, very a little bit cramped almost, but not uncomfortably so. Uh, very neighborhoody, lots of families, dogs, as we said. And then Holy Mountain is kind of off on its own in a bit of a warehousey industrial area with a train track right behind, as we noticed when it came by. But it's a very austere yeah. space, all white, huge high ceilings. Yeah, huge, huge high ceilings, white walls, whitewashed walls with not a uh, piece of art hanging on them, completely yeah. bare. I had kind of a Scandinavian feel. Like I, I could imagine it. If we, I'd been there, and you said, "Oh, you're in Copenhagen." I would have said, "Yeah, I, that makes sense." Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and no families, no kids, no dogs. In fact, uh, uh, kids and dogs are, are explicitly not allowed. Right. There's a big sign in the front. So that was our first <laughs> clue. That was interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. So just a different, different vibe altogether. Yeah. Uh, but uh, very friendly staff. Actually, very friendly staff everywhere we've been. Uh, friendly and knowledgeable. So, and here we are in uh, Old Stove. That's right, right now. And uh, Old Stove has the virtue of serving food, which is a little bit rare in these places, as we've already talked about extensively. So that's nice. Uh, it's got a good location in the Pike Market. We stayed downtown, so it was an easy walk for us to come here. Uh, the food's been excellent, and the beer has been quite good. Yeah. Uh, highlights, I think, are the. Uh, and of course, I don't have the beer menu in front of me, but their pale ale. Uh, I think their standard pale ale, which I don't remember their, what they call it. Um, it's good. Right. What you're drinking now, you like their Pilsner, which was a delicate, um, unadorned German, more German style. Yeah, they call it Czech style, but it really wasn't. I think it was yeah. really classic German style Pilsner. With a little sauce hops to make it the Czech. A little sauce, a little sauce hops. But, but uh, very much brewed to style and quite well done. Yeah. Uh, which is always a good sign. 
And I had, I think we got maybe two of their best beers right off the bat. You, your Pilsner was nice, and uh, I had a, I had a sour, uh, dry hop sour with Nelson Sauvin, um, yeah. which is a hop I don't normally like when it's used in the kettle, but when it's used for dry hopping, it's very nice. I get the tropical notes. And, uh, it was uh, one of those sours that uh, was not too tart, so it was really rounded and, and uh, excellent, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, it actually might have been my favorite as well. Yeah. Uh, this pale is nice. I also have their uh, Hot Tornado uh, IPA, um, which is, uh, I would call it good, but doesn't distinguish itself among the many IPAs available in Seattle. Yeah, that's, I would say that they this Old Stove definitely has a weaker handle on hops than any of the other breweries we've been to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because I've got a something shark, mud shark, <laughs> tiger, tiger, tiger shark, tiger, yeah. tiger shark, tiger shark, pale, and uh, it's a little astringent. I think they've oversparged or something. And uh, the saison is okay, although it's um, lacking enough yeast character that I was sort of confused about which one was the saison and which one was the pale. So it's partly just a blown palate from being drinking a lot of beer, but yeah. Also, um, you know. Indicative of the uh, kind of lack of yeast, really a sort of yeast character you might expect in a saison. It's true, yeah. But you don't get the esters that are sort of popping on the nose or, in the, or on the palate, yeah. Their beer is totally uh, uh, solid, though. There's not anything wrong with it. We're not getting any problems. So it's just really a matter of dialing in these recipes a little bit more. And uh, I think it's a fine brewery. Yeah, I think a few are dialed in and excellent, and a few are still a little bit works in progress, but uh, it's a cool space. Yeah, it's funny that the one interesting thing about the, the dining room that we're in is it's got two fermenters in it. There's the brewery is apparently in the basement below us. They have no no space, so they've got two of the fermenters in the dining room, which <laughs> they, is really trippy. <laughs> they pump up, <laughs> they pump up the wort. Yeah, and you can ferment here. They've got tables in between them and stuff. They're really right in the dining room, so that's interesting. Yeah. All right, so that's our report. We're off to Rubens, uh, and we'll have a bigger report from Rubens when we get back. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so we'll be. That was the waiter there at Old Show, and we're off to Rubens, and we'll have a report from there later on for you. All right, Patrick. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. All right. So next up, so we got we got to wrap up this endless podcast. Uh, is the mailbag? So, All right. So Jeff, what do we have in the mailbag this week, month, something? We have uh, something from Kevin whose uh, email account was set up to say sent from Casa Doom which Sweet. I incredibly nice. appreciate <laughs> good job Kevin we, uh, we, we, we give you props for that I'm going to read this and then we'll answer it um, I wonder if you can help me explain uh, help explain something to me I don't know if other listeners of the podcast are interested in this as well I'm rather confused about the so called three tiered system of distribution that exists for beer in the US my understanding is that there has to be a middleman to get beer from the brew house to the point of retail, but I often hear about breweries self-distributing. How is this possible under the law? That is a fantastic question and a fantastic podcast. Exactly. This, this distribution is uh, an enormous, enormous part of the beer industry in the United States and one that almost nobody ever talks about, and we need to get on that, and we're going to get on that. Like... You you hounded us to go to Seattle. We went to Seattle. By God, we're going to do a thing on distribution. Yeah, yeah. We we've been talking about it for a long time. I will say one thing because it relates directly to uh, our discussions with Seattle brewers, which is that it turns out that you can, as a Washington brewer, you are not allowed to self distribute to Oregon. 
but as an Oregon brewer, you are allowed to self-distribute to Washington. And so that might help explain why it's much easier to find Oregon beer in Washington than the opposite. A fact that irritates the hell out of Washington. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it shouldn't be. So, But yeah, we'll talk right. about that. It is, it's a complicated system. There are a lot of exceptions. There's a lot of ways in which you can self-distribute. I will say that it changes from state to state. It's all state law, so um, we'll do our best. We can talk about the Northwest experience probably. We can, and we, we will talk about uh, the nature of distribution, which is uh, an interesting and uh, a critically important part of the whole beer industry and, and um, something that may well be in flux for the first time since Prohibition, which yeah. is fascinating. And for the econ geeks, I might even use the term double marginalization. Ooh, so you, I have no idea what you just so said. You got that, so you got that. <laughs> I could speculate, but I'll wait. All right. Okay, well, uh, thanks very much for listening to the podcast. Uh, this was the first in a series of Seattle-based uh, podcasts. So That's we, right, and we're going to drop these uh, once a week. We normally, we normally, ha-ha. Yeah, we, we, we're a bi-weekly podcast. We're bi-weekly, <laughs> like clockwork. Uh, we're going to, so for the next two weeks, look for uh, future podcasts from our Seattle trip. And, uh, and by the way, I'm the a first. podcast consumer, and I know, I, I, des- I know very deeply how annoying it is when a podcast just sort of goes dark and then you don't get your regular fix. So I'm a man of routine, so I get it. We're, we're trying our best. We but, are. But we're not very good at this stuff. That's so, a great segue to what is written on the script next. <laughs> in, in that, it's a terrible segue. <laughs> well, wait a minute. So, so look forward to the, the, the podcast on Fremont Brewing with an in-depth interview uh, um, and also with uh, Rubens Brews. Both actually, they were great visits, really interesting stuff. Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to contrast those a little bit with Cloudburst, which we've already talked about because we've got a, a somewhat smaller Seattle brewery, a mid-sized Seattle brewery, and a large Seattle brewery, That's all right. successful and growing. And we can talk a little bit about how those different uh, breweries look. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And by the way, the one thing we didn't mention is that we did on our way out, because we had a little time before we caught our train, go to Elysian. Yeah. The Elysian Fields Brewer. That's right. We did We did that. Uh, right next to the Seahawks, which is, where do they play? What's that stadium called? Uh, CenturyLink Field. CenturyLink Field. That's right. And next to the, and right around Branded the Branded Content Field. Uh, yeah, and right around the corner from the train station. And I think that's about all we really need to say about that. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. It was one of those weird uh, provisional spaces where nobody was at unless there's a game. It's built like a barn to house all the people who are going to the game. But when you're there on a weird Tuesday night, no, there was like nobody there. There, there, was, there was kind of a, a work, a work. This was around the holidays, right? So it was kind of like a work party that was straight out of the office. Yeah, totally. And we were we actually had a, a little game that we were playing, like. <laughs> What is the business? And yeah, that's my, I, was, I asked you. I said, "So okay, so what is something?" And I'm like, "Yeah, paper company from uh, uh, what is Scranton? That? Scranton, thank you." Yeah, yeah I, I said, really mar- "I said way. it's got to be marine insurance." I said, "It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's like all officers are the same in their own way. It's like each 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 office is the same." And yeah, they were loud and awkward, and the whole thing was too familiar and. Um, we got on the train. So we just we just blew our quick outro here because we're saying we got to end this podcast too long. Yeah. All right, here we go. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. First, we'd like to encourage you to rate us on iTunes, that which helps others find us. Is that true? Well, yes. Do it. Do it. No, it, it does. Rate the, us. the more highly rated uh, podcasts come up more quickly in the searches for them. Sweet. Do it. Keep reading them. Yeah. This rate us like higher than any other beard podcast at least. Come on. Seriously. Six stars. Always good at six stars. <laughs> uh, since we encouraged you to rate us on after the last podcast, the number of ratings grew 42%. Seriously? Is yeah. this true? 
Wow. We'll keep reading. Unfortunately, they are still only 17 years. <laughs> <years. laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's how staff Oh, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> we had 12 you last my, time. You get my hopes up. Uh, <laughs> so please consider helping that number grow. Yeah, you should rate us. You should subscribe to us. You should mention us to friends. Uh, people who don't like beer, we will convince them to like beer. That's right. Everyone is entertained by us. This is a juggernaut waiting to happen, but we need your help. All right. A few words about about how to contact us. You should. What you should do is you should email Jeff at beervanablog.com or visit the Beervana Blog Facebook page. You should leave your comments. You should leave your suggestions. Uh, you should get in touch. Um, and, yeah, go. And uh, you can find Patrick tweeting at uh, Beernomics. And he is actually an active tweeter, and it's an interesting account, and you should follow Patrick on Twitter. You know what? Since I've basically given up the pretense of the blog. Yes. I do not, the, there's I do no the, basically about it. But the, but the point is, in my mind now, I don't have to think about it. And so now I do the Twitter, and the Twitter's fun. The Twitter. Yeah. I don't really have more than 280 things to say, 80 characters to say about anything. Exactly. So, and you, you have pithy observations. So follow Patrick. Oh, I'm very pithy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you uh, tweet at Birvana. I do. And sometimes Less what pithily. you tweet links to your blog, which has been quite good, actually. Thank you. Yeah, good, the, the blog a content. a lot of good stuff on the blog, actually. I am trying to really step up the game there. Uh, and I really like the stuff about peripatetic uh, consumers, about what you called them. Uh, promiscuous. Promiscuous, yeah. yeah. So that's another blog. Okay, another pod. All right. Uh, cheers, Jeff. What, oh, wow. What can I got? Oh, I'm going to grab the best bitter from Machine House. I'm going to go with the Bodhisattva. All right. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.